Thanks, team. As thinking, as we're singing the words of the songs, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy, worthy is his name. And I was thinking his name is worthy, but his name is also worthy. I'm feeling both the weight and the joy of then this second song, Speak, O Lord. This holy, worthy God has us gathered here together to hear his word. And I get to do that job. It's a real gift to hear the word of the Lord to be able to teach it and to receive it. I was thinking about this topic on worship. Come let us worship. I'd started in the Psalms, if you were following our notes and thinking through um, just the topic of worship. And as I was studying, I kept being drawn back to Jesus' perspective on worship in the Gospels. What does Jesus have to say about this topic? And I kept thinking about his first sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, often called the Sermon on the Mount, when Christ essentially, right out of the gate, this phrase he's repeating that we're going to talk about You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. It's completely reorganizing people's understanding of what it means to live in relationship with God. It's it's worship. Why this topic? Why now? One, because understanding what real worship is is central in our lives as Christians. In other words, how we live during the week is worship impacts how we gather together on Sunday. And oftentimes those things get kind of disjointed. Right? We can, well, living is one thing and then we come to worship. But how we are living during the week impacts what we do on Sundays, whether we know it or not. Whether we acknowledge it or not, that's true. And so why this topic, why now? Well, one, because understanding what real worship is, is central to our lives. The second reason is, is because generally speaking, the worship component of the church, and I'm again speaking generally, is one of the most common areas of conflict and division for a church. As reading historically through all the divisions that happened around music and worship. Please do not jump to conclusions. There is not a problem here regarding worship, and I'm addressing this sideways. That's not what's happening. Okay? But the the propensity or the possibility, one, we get off on worship, when we misunderstand it, the possibility to have conflict and division around worship is really high. 
And the answer is not finding a middle ground, which kind of satisfies everybody. You know, well, we'll do some hymns and some this and maybe not so much of that. And so we'll try to find middle ground that satisfies everybody or at least most everybody. The way we guard ourselves against conflict is by keeping Jesus Christ and his kingdom at the center of our worship. Central. He is the preeminent one. We organize ourselves around him. The third reason why this topic is because our human race struggles are timeless. The things they struggled with 2,000 years ago, same chocolate, different wrapper. It looks a little bit different, but it's the same. Our struggles are the same. Our temptations are the same as our spiritual ancestors have faced. That's why Paul says these things have been written down for your instruction. The gravitational pull of our flesh left alone is to self. And we're always prone to drift and not notice our drifting. True? You guys have all experienced this with me. What do we drift from? And what do we drift toward? What we drift from Christ at the center, and we drift towards placing ourselves at the center. And that is true on this topic of worship. And so the way we protect ourselves from conflict and the way we protect ourselves from drift is by keeping Christ Jesus at the center of our worship. And so these next several weeks, I want to be walking through the Gospels and we're going to be taking a look at what Jesus has to say about living in relationship with God. It's worship. And so when I use this phrase, worship, I am talking about living in relationship with God, whether we're doing that 24-7 throughout the week or we're doing that here corporately together. It's worship. We're, we're worshiping, living when we leave here and while we're here. It's really good for us to be reminded of our propensity to drift so we can recognize it. Let me share with you a story that kind of captures our tendency towards drifting. So in the early 1990s, at Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England, Pastor Mike Pilavachi was struggling with the music portion of his church services. The music quality was great. The team was gifted, but he sensed that there was something missing when their church gathered together to worship. And his assessment was that he he believed his church was becoming consumers of worship rather than producers of worship. So one Sunday morning, Pastor Mike asked his church family this question. When you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing 
as your offering to God. Let's pose that question to ourselves for a moment. When we come through those aluminum double doors on Sunday together, what do we bring as our offering to God? Do we think about that? I'm coming to bring something. Church, I'm going to suggest if you answered that question the same way that I did when I read that question, that that question exposes our propensity to drift. Because I don't often come prepared to give to the Lord in worship. In the Old Testament, when people would go to worship, they would physically have something in their hands. They would bring something to the temple. They had to prepare. They had to think ahead and plan accordingly. And their preparedness had some pretty, pretty significant standards. So it wasn't like they could grab something on the way out the door. They had to think about it. It had to meet certain standards. And so they had to be thoughtful and they had to organize their priorities as they approached worship. But even that had weaknesses, right? For those in the Old Testament, the potential was for them to be so busy preparing and planning and getting ready the work they were doing, their efforts, the formality, what other people would think about their gift that they were bringing, the regulations. And in all of that, they could not only forget their own hearts, but they could forget the Lord as well. These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, they they were prone to drifting and not knowing it. And for us, it's easy to drift as well. Think about how much we rush in the church without any thought about what we bring. I mean, oftentimes we arrive thinking about everything but what we bring. Except maybe a crock pot every other Sunday. True. We tend to think about what we get from our experience at church. Let me ask you this. What do we tend to think about when we leave church? Do we think, man, was the Lord pleased with what I brought today? Is my heart in His place? Did I give him everything as a culmination from my week? Maybe this is just confessions of another wayward pastor, but I don't think many of us think that way, church. I think we leave church typically thinking about what we would adjust if we were in charge so we could get more out of it. We tend to evaluate our church experience 
Based on what? How many times have we heard the phrase, well, I didn't get much out of that? We're drifting, and we don't know it. See, it's easy for us to become consumers of worship rather than producers of worship. We drift. So that's what Pastor Mike Pilavachi saw his church doing. And so one Sunday morning, in a brave attempt to remind his church of the purpose of worship, he announced, we're banning the band. So for a season of time, Soul Survival Church in England would use one instrument and no sound equipment. Or sound system. And so in efforts to remember what was the central element of their worship, they stripped everything away and focused on asking themselves the question, what do I bring to God as an offering when I come to worship? Well, Pastor Mike's young worship leader initially recoiled at the announcement. He wasn't privy to the information. They're banning the band? But he soon assumed a position that he was open for what the Lord would want to teach him through his pastor. And so one night alone in his apartment, this young worship leader came to some realizations about his own mindset and his need to recalibrate his perspective on what is the focus of worship. And so that evening, Matt Redman scribbled the beginnings of this song in his journal. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, but a song in itself is not what what you want. It's not what you've required. You look more deeply within, past the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus. It is all about you. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, Jesus. In the beginning portions of the gospel accounts, and what we find is that Jesus is stripping away much of the religious scaffolding that has been erected around a relationship with God, around people's worship of God. And he desires to reorient and to recalibrate his people understanding, his, his followers' understanding of what does it look like to truly worship. I've read a lot of definitions on worship. There's been several that have been really helpful to me. I'm going to highlight a couple. Paul Tripp says this, 
Worship is the ongoing captivation of the heart that overflows into your life to produce desire, word, and deed. Warren Wearsby says, Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. John Piper says, The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then to respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things, and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. So I've mentioned we're in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and tonight we're going to, rather than deep diving, although we're going to do part of that, we're going to kind of do an overview of Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to do that because I think the context is really helpful in what Christ is wanting to do here. But in, if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, As we lead up to Jesus' sermon, what we see is John the Baptist preparing the way for Christ. And John says, chapter 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he, speaking of Jesus, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so Matthew records John the Baptist announcing, here comes the King of Kings, the Lord, He's coming. And then in John chapter 4, Jesus' medal around that very declaration is tested as He heads into the desert and miraculously goes without food or water and faces Satan himself, resists temptation, and comes through having won having proven himself to be exactly who John has said he was. Jesus resists Satan's temptation to exalt himself in every temptation. Prove yourself over God. And Jesus refuses to exalt himself. And then after this intense season of prayer and fasting, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he begins his preaching and he's, and he declares the same message of John, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Matthew 4, 17. John says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. Jesus says the same thing. From this time on, verse 17, chapter 4, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or, another way of saying that is, the kingdom of God has come near. It's within arm's reach. That's what Jesus is saying. The king has brought the kingdom 
to you. Jesus is declaring that God's kingdom is now in their presence. This radically transforms worship. You with me? What I mean by that? Jesus is revolutionizing, literally, the way his followers think about living and relating to God. You used to have to go to the temple. Now the temple has come to you. You used to have to go to the presence of God. Now the presence of God has come to you. Behold, the kingdom of God is within your reach. It's here. After Jesus' death and resurrection, we now know what his original hearers didn't know, and that is that the Holy Spirit would come and then reside in us, and literally each individual becomes a temple of God, and now worship is 24-7, literally. And again, this fundamentally changes worship. Worship Jesus is saying is not just something that you go and do. Worship is a way you live out your citizenship of this kingdom that is here. So when Jesus starts his ministry, religious ideals and cultural assumptions and selfish tendencies and traditionalism and consumerism had all found their way into or in place of a relationship with God. Think about these words, friends. Religious ideals, cultural assumptions, selfish tendencies, following traditions, being religious, consumerism. They had replaced the people's relationship with God. And so when Jesus begins the inauguration of his kingdom on earth, one of his first orders of business is to define what true worship is not. To strip away all misunderstanding and to rebuild people's understanding of what worship truly is. And so he works his way through the sermon and we're going to come back to this, but I wanted to get to one of his main points of his sermon. And he's coming to a conclusion in Matthew chapter 7. He's winding down his sermon. And in verse 17 through 18, and remember, he's been telling them, this is what worship is not, and this is what worship is. He's been reorienting and readjusting, recalibrating their understanding of what it means to live in relationship with God. And he says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Luke is recording this same instance, and he does so in his gospel this way, chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance the heart his mouth speaks. 
And Jesus would say, it's not what's outside of a man that makes him unclean, but what is inside. You know, I've often thought of this, you know, of regularly trying to retune my radio to something that's God-honoring. And we ought to do that. But I will also say, friends, if we don't retune our hearts to the central reality of our lives, our radio station will always drift. Music doesn't make the heart. I choose the music from a heart that lives within me. And if I don't change the heart, I'm always going to drift. This is what Jesus is saying, church. I'm using a simple example, but a profound application to many areas of our life. This is worship. We can change our proverbial channels in every different instance in our lives. But if we don't change the heart that loves those particular channels, we will always gravitate to something other than Christ at the center. And so this is what Christ is saying to his people. Look, if your heart isn't dispositioned towards God, you're always going to drift. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. But the good news is a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. So what is Jesus saying? In this first sermon to his people, he's saying this, worship is not about your external behavior. It does not start there. True worship is living according to truth. In other words, doing right things. But it's out of a spirit that loves and adores God. And so this is the kind of people that God seeks to worship him. People are doing the right thing on the outside because they love God on the inside. Doesn't mean that we always feel like it. Matter of fact, I'm learning to have take great joy in the fact when I obey and I don't feel like it and it don't make sense to me because it's the only time that I know I have true faith. I don't understand and I don't agree and I'm going to obey anyway because I know by, by now you know better than me. But again, this is the kind of people that God seeks to worship Him. Those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is John chapter 4. This is the story he has, the conversation he has with the woman at the well. And we're going to talk about this on our last Sunday. But I want to do a brief overview, real quick, as we're we're wrapping up. But I want to do a real quick overview kind of, of, of the sermon and what's going on here. This is really helpful to me. I hope it is to you. So I want to walk through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're going to come back and land on this verse that we just read. But I want us to see some essential elements of Jesus' message that culminate in the verse we just read. Look at chapter 5. So in chapter 4, 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close to you. It's at hand. Then he goes and he chooses his disciples. You guys are coming with me. And then he sees the crowd and he goes up and he begins to teach. And verse 2 says, And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is he talking about behaviors, or is he talking about disposition of the heart? He's saying, blessed are those whose heart is disposition to God. That is the blessed life. Blessed are those who heart, whose hearts are tuned to God. He doesn't say, blessed are those who go to the temple. Blessed are those who follow the Ten Commandments. Blessed are those, he starts with, blessed are those whose hearts are dispositioned, are faced forward, whose compass points to God. And Jesus starts his sermon focusing on the heart condition of people before God and what constitutes a blessed life. But he does turn towards particular behaviors. Look in verse starting in 21. You have heard that it was said that those to those of old, you shall not murder. And so now he walks through several particular behaviors Anger, lust, divorce, making oaths, or, or uh, being having integrity, personal integrity, verses 33 through 37. And then he talks about retaliation, and then how to treat your enemies. So he goes from a heart disposition, and now he is talking about very particular behaviors, and he lists what those behaviors are. But notice that he specifically wants to completely invert the way his hearers understand those behaviors. So he's not just listing a bunch of behaviors, but he's listing a bunch of behaviors and he's saying, about that behavior, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And so six times he says in verse 22, but I say unto you. In verse 28, but I say to you. In verse 32, but I say to you. In verse 34, but I say to you. In verse 39, but I say to you. In verse 44, but I say to you. I'm looking, here's, here's what God is looking for, for people whose hearts are dispositioned to Him, and that changes the way you look at sin. It absolutely reinverts. You have heard that it was said that this is the way that should go, and I'm telling you it's completely different. Jesus wants them to see that true obedience to the law starts in their hearts. And then in chapter 6 through verse 18, then... Jesus gives practical guidelines for worship. Giving, prayer, fasting. And these directives are given in the context of God wants your heart. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, don't practice your righteousness before what men in a way to be seen by them. A relationship with God radically changes the way we worship.
and why we come to worship and what we bring to worship. You see, because a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And church, in light of this, I want to pose the same question to us that Pastor Mike posed to his church. When you come, when we come through those doors on Sunday, what are we bringing as an offering to God? Are we bringing a heart that is dispositioned towards God? Have we said, you are the north on my compass, come what may? I don't understand, I don't always agree, but you know better than I do. Are we bringing a heart that's dispositioned towards God? If not, how do we change the disposition of our heart? How do you do that? I believe that's what Jesus' call was at the beginning of his message. Repent. God's kingdom is at hand. We get a new disposition of the heart by submitting ourselves to the reality that God's kingdom is at hand and he is the only rightful ruler of the universe. That's how we get a new heart. Repent. Turn from the way of living that you live and turn to the way of living. God's kingdom is at hand and he knows what he's doing and you don't. That's how we get a new heart disposition. I was going one way. It led to destruction. I'm turning to your way. It leads to life. The cure for the disposition of our hearts is Christ Jesus himself. And only as we find ourselves in him and joyfully find ourselves under his rule that we can have a heart that is disposed to a life that pleases God. You with me? We have to joyfully say, I don't, doesn't mean I'm happy and giddy about it. It just means that you really do know and I'm following you joyfully because I know it's better than my way. And then we can have a heart that's disposed to a life that pleases God. And so when we come through those doors on a Sunday, are we bringing, what are we bringing as an offering to God? Are we bringing a heart that's dispositioned, aimed at God? When we come through the doors on Sunday, do we realize that the way that we live during the week is in direct connection to what we do here on Sunday? Church, I'm saying this because I need it. And I'm saying this because I love you. But I'm telling you, if you have spent more time in the last six months talking about what could be done different here and 
over there and how so-and-so is taking care of their children or not taking care of their children in church and how this and that. And we go to Casa and we're having these conversations about this and that, how this could change and that could change. And you're spending more time. I thought about presenting a checkbox. How much time have you spent on that? And how much time have you spent on, am I, what am I bringing to worship to God on Sunday? Good, just be my confession, church, but I'm telling you, I have been an inordinately long list on the wrong side. And the way we recalibrate our worship is by saying, this is all about you and your kingdom, and I'm here to worship you, not me. I'm here to produce worship, not consume it. I'm not here to get... I'm here to give you something. When you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? Jesus says that a healthy tree bears Good fruit. That we position ourselves to be healthy when we say, you're the king of my universe. I come under you. I serve you. I give myself to you. I'm here for you. Church, that tree bears good fruit. That's what it does. So, Father, would you help us to come ready to bring you an offering on Sunday for sure. But even as one of the men said in the study this morning, as we enter each day, May we consider it an opportunity to live a worshipful, worshipful life that bears fruit for you daily by dispositioning our heart towards you, by connecting the way we live during the week and what we bring on Sunday together. By coming as a producer of worship with our brothers and sisters and honoring and exalting and lifting your name on high and receiving your word. But even in the reception of your word, we're actually giving you our lives. Lord, we we need to recalibrate and we're thankful that we have you to do that. And that this is a joyous exercise for us. Some of us have to make big shifts. Some of us only have to make small ones. But nonetheless, all of it is a shift towards you. And so we're thankful to hear from your word and to be reoriented towards you once again. And we say, do more of it. Draw us in. Recalibrate our worship. Focus our attention on you. And Lord, we want to bring you more than a song. 
Because songs are not what you have required. You want our heart. And it is all about you. For your glory and our joy, run this truth deep into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Our counselor. Amen.